currently on fire and you only had time to safely take out two things, what would you take out? Turn to the person next to you and tell them what two things would you remove from your house safely before it burned down. Take a moment now. Okay, I heard Bible and dog. Somebody raise your hand. Tell me what would you, yes, yeah, Sam. Your kids. Amen. Amen. You have three kids, but we'll let you take all three of them. Yes. Ah, family pictures in the Bible. Very good. What else? Somebody else raise your hand. Money. All right. Sure, that's important. Okay, all your pets. Seven cats, two dogs. Can't replace them. Exactly. Um, okay, so, so let's do a little bit of this. Let's, let's do this or, or that. Would you take out your wallet or a potted plant? Wallet? Anyone potted plant? Maybe it had a lot of sentimental value. Okay. What about a scrapbook or your wallet? Who would take the scrapbook? Raise your hand. Who would take the wallet? Okay, people don't scrapbook much anymore these days. What about your cell phone or your wallet or purse? Who would take their cell phone? Okay. Who would take their wallet or their purse? Okay. What about this? your computer if you have one, or your pet. Okay, do we even need to ask? Who would take their computer over their pet? Okay, you don't have a pet. Could be a pet rock. Never know, or an ant farm. You know, that, that could be. <laughs> Peggy said snake. <laughs> For, uh, yeah. Not being a snake lover, I can, I wouldn't have a pet snake. Um, okay, who would take their cat over their dog? Ooh. Peggy said it depends on which cat. <laughs> okay, that's a hard one. That's not really not, not a fair question. Who would take their car versus their child? What's that? Cars outside, okay. It's already in the garage, already on the street. What about a big pile of money or your mom? What if it was a million dollars? All right. See, someone said, was it mother or mother-in-law? That's it. A question to ask. Of course, we value the things that are the most irreplaceable. I've heard that already a couple of times. Uh, you, you don't care much about a potted plant because you can just go down to the store and buy another one. But those old family albums, hard to replace those. Tristan, those pictures, can't replace those. But praise God, you didn't get ruined. 
I love that children's story. People matter more than stuff. The harder it is to replace something, the more valuable it is. In reality, there's no sum of money, no amount of money that would be too valuable to take over taking a human out of that house, right? People matter more than stuff. People matter most. That's the message that we're going to see very clearly in our Bible study this morning. It's the message that 2 Peter chapter 3 has for us. Peter wrote his last epistle, his last letter, as he's about to die. He's sensing 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He writes that he thinks he's about to die. And so he writes this letter with these most important things to the people before his end. If you were to, to die soon, if you knew you had a week to live and you, you could write some letters to people that were meaningful in your life, what would you write about? Would you write about how interesting the TV shows are that, are that are on these days? Or would you be writing more important things? Maybe apologizing for things that you'd done wrong. Maybe telling them that you love them. Telling them that you hope that they will be connected to Jesus. Hope to see them in heaven. That's kind of the nature of the things that Peter is writing in this epistle. And I know that we just studied 2 Peter and 1 Peter in our quarterly uh, but it's good to be reminded of these things, and perhaps we'll catch it from a new angle this morning. As my dad said, he said, I've had ice cream before, but I don't mind having it again. You know, I've read the Bible before, but I don't mind reading it again. There's always something new that we can catch if our hearts are open. So 2 Peter chapter 3, we find one of the most profound questions in the entire Bible and it bothers me every time I read it. It haunts me when I read this question. We'll get to the question in a moment. But look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. What's the very first word there in your Bible? Seeing. Other translations say since. Maybe the King James says therefore. What would you say, Simon? Therefore. Yeah. And, and you... King James says seeing. Seeing, Okay. Some of you have heard this, the expression, when you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what's it there for? Same is true for when you see the word seeing or since. There's a conclusion based on a previous argument. So Peter's going to ask us this question, but we need to figure out what comes before that. So look at chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, he writes, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate to you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and commanded by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. And now verse 3. First of all, I want you to understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come. What's a scoffer? A mocker, somebody who, who doesn't believe. They're making fun of God's word. They're making fun of you for believing in God's word. In the last days, there will be scoffers scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, verse 4, where is the coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the very beginning. Peter says, you got to know this. In the last days, there will be people who are saying, oh yeah, Jesus is coming? Yeah, right. We've heard that before. 
My grandpa said that. My father said that. My great-grandpa said that. My great-grandpa didn't go to school because he believed Jesus was about to return. And they're saying it in this scoffing attitude as if Jesus will never come. But just because he hasn't come yet doesn't mean that he won't come in the future. A man was preaching uh, about the return of Jesus and a man stood up or he shouted out, Jesus hasn't come yet. How do we know? He may not come for a hundred years. And the man who was speaking was only about 70 years old. And the evangelist probably wasn't the best thing to say, but he said to him, well, sir, judging by your age, his return, in a sense, is not far off for you. Because as long as our life is, and then we die, and we, the next moment we know um, is the return of Jesus. Uh, in, in death, time uh, takes no time at all. So if you hear somebody saying, putting off the return of Jesus, you can say, praise God, you're, you're fulfilling Bible prophecy. 2 Peter chapter 3 said there will be people scoffing and mocking the return of our Lord. Now, of course, we don't know when he's going to return. We don't want to set dates like Harold Camping did, saying Jesus was going to return, I think, in 2012. And that day came and that day went, and people legitimately scoffed him and mocked him. Uh, we don't set those dates, but as we look at our world and we look at the signs in the Bible, we say, wow, I don't know how much longer. It might be in my lifetime, it might not be in my lifetime, but this is a time to be ready day by day for whenever the Lord returns or whenever my life is cut short. First of all, there'll be scoffers. But look at verse 5. These scoffers are forgetting something, the Bible says. It says, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What's he talking about here? The flood. A long time ago God said the world's going to be destroyed by flood. God spoke through, Moses, excuse, through Noah. Not through Moses. That's the old joke. How many animals did Moses have on the ark? And then people were going, oh. Uh, you say, ah, it was actually Noah. Joke that I learned as a kid. In any case, so it's talking about Noah's flood here. Noah preached for 120 years saying the end is going to come. The world is going to be destroyed. And the people of that time didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to believe it. And it was only he and his family that were saved in the end. A small fraction of what could have been rescued. God didn't want anyone to be destroyed. He gave them ample opportunity and ample warning. So that word that said, the world will be destroyed, notice what he says next. By, verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for what? For fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter's saying, long ago God said, the world's going to be destroyed by water, and look what happened. It happened. And now the same word, the word that was trustworthy back then, is trustworthy today, saying, instead of water this time, there's coming a fire. And sometimes when we hear about this fire, we're like, oh, this is a, this is a scary sermon. This is a scary passage. But how merciful of our Heavenly Father to warn us because just in the time of Noah, when everybody had an opportunity, everybody 
will have an opportunity to escape the fires to come. And that's where we come in. That's where mission comes in. Letting people know. If you saw a two-year-old at potluck today with a fork going towards the the, uh, power outlet, what kind of response would you have? Would you say, oh, Billy, don't do that. That's not safe. As they're headed two inches, ready to stick it into the outlet, right? What kind of a response? Maybe a more lively one, right? Because you don't want Billy to die. You want to save his life. And so sometimes God has to shout through the pages of Scripture because he wants us to wake up. He wants us to be prepared so that none will perish. Look at verse 8. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God's always existed. Time, while he exists in and out of time, time isn't as big of a deal to God because he's always been here and he always will be. But the Lord, verse 9, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. If it seems like the second coming of Jesus has been pushed back, it's because God is trying to save more people. It's in his mercy that he hasn't returned yet. Maybe he's waiting for some of us to give our hearts fully to God, for our family members, for our neighbors, for the people we haven't met yet. He's waiting because he's wanting more people to be saved. That's why there's a delay, an apparent delay. Then Peter comes back to the main point. But there is a day, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, not in a manner, but in the sense of timing. For people who aren't paying attention, they'll be caught off guard. He'll come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. That's a really hot fire. It says even the elements will be destroyed. You know, there's been a lot of talk about nuclear weaponry, uh, bombs back and forth here with North Korea, the United States, and so forth. The power of the atomic bomb is in the power of dividing the elements, right? That's where all this energy is released. So so Peter is describing a fire that will cleanse the whole world of sin. Everything in it will be burnt up. This is a, a nuclear fire that's beyond, like, our thinking ability. We're looking forward to the, to the eclipse coming up. Uh, for those that might be traveling north to see the, the total solar eclipse. Um, but even the surface of the sun uh, will be cool, probably compared to the fire that's being described here. And the awesome part is, nobody needs to, to be in that fire that doesn't want to be. Because God is giving warning after warning, opportunity after opportunity for all of us to accept Jesus into our lives and to have the assurance that when he comes back, he'll take us to be with him. And he's given us a message to give to the world so that our friends can know, our family can know, our neighbors can know. And nobody needs to perish because God 
wants everybody to come to repentance. So having said all these, we're now set up to understand the since, the seeing, the therefore, verse 11. Verse 11, based on the fact that everything's going to be destroyed. Parkwood, even this church is going to be burnt up. We need to take care of it while we can, but it's going to go too. Our new parking lot, that'll be sad. It's going to be burned up. We'll have much better parking lots in heaven. Parking lots made of gold. I don't know that we'll have cars. Got to be there to find out, though. Since everything will be destroyed in this way. Since your house is going to burn down, what should be important? He says, what kind of people ought you to be? How should you live, knowing that this is the reality? This isn't some hypothetical what-if situation. This is a reality. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So what should be important? Amen. Amen. He says, he answers his own question, at least the way it's phrased in my Bible here. It says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Two things concerning the way that we live, the attitudes, the beliefs, the way that we conduct our lives, and the way that we choose to be involved in helping speed the coming of Jesus. If you've been given ample warning, it only makes sense to heed the warning that's been given. You know, I grew up in the Northwest, and I wasn't alive during this time, but my family was, and they told me about it. The year was 1980. It was in the spring, and disaster was on its way. The scientists had been predicting it. They'd been taking measurements. They'd been feeling the tremors, seeing Mount St. Helens give off bursts of steam. It was a beautiful mountain, along with Mount Fuji in Japan, one of the more symmetrical mountains in the world. Uh, just really looked quite, quite nice there. You can see Spirit Lake, I believe, there in the foreground. But the scientists said, you know what? It's not a question of if, it's, it seems like it's a when. Um, it would send off bursts of steam and ash, you know, higher and higher and higher, thousands of feet into the air. And they, they developed these zones around the mountain uh, where they started evacuating people in the, more, uh, the zones closest to the blast zone, the death zone. Uh, pretty soon, as it got closer and closer to when they believed it would erupt, these further out zones were evacuated. But not everybody believed it or wanted to to worry about it. Not everybody cared about it. Uh, there were guys like Harry Truman. Uh, this guy had, I think, about 17 cats. He lived there at his homestead there, right there at Spirit Lake. Uh, not our, our former president, Harry Truman, of course, but this guy had been through avalanches, perhaps. He'd been through blizzards. He'd been through hot summers and cold winters, and he wasn't about to leave no matter what anybody said. He was going to stay right there and weather the storms, as it were. And there were others who chose not to leave. You know, it was interesting. Before the eruption, um, the mountain grew silent for about a week. It didn't send up those large bursts of steam and ash like it had been. 
Uh, and so some of the people started thinking, why am I not at my home? It seems like the danger is maybe past. I can go back to my home. There were vandals, people looting, who thought this is a perfect opportunity. Nobody's up there. I'm going to go help myself to people's stuff. But the animals knew. The forests were strangely quiet in that week building up to the eruption. My grandma was standing at her kitchen sink washing dishes at 8.32 when all of a sudden the mountain exploded. In that eruption, it blew off the top 1,300 feet of its summit with a force of 1,600 bombs, atomic bombs like the one they dropped on Hiroshima. A mile-wide crater was left. 230 square miles of, of land were immediately impacted, but a much greater swath of land was impacted by this. Four billion board feet of timber were destroyed, mowed down. There's the massive crater. You can see how the mountain used to look and how it looks now. Here are the timber that just knocked down, uh, much of it ending up in Spirit Lake. Miles of roadway destroyed. At least 27 bridges were, were destroyed. Railway were destroyed. 250 homes. Uh, and the most tragic part of it all was that 57 people were killed. 57 people who didn't need to die. 57 people who had ample warning, ample opportunity, but chose to ignore the warnings and chose to stay. Harry Truman, of course, was one of those people here as Spirit Lake today, uh, or a few years ago, was still hundreds if not thousands of logs still floating there as a testament to the destructive power of this blast. As I think about the description here of the cleansing fire in the last days in 2 Peter chapter 3, I think Mount St. Helens was just a small sampling of this. And how tragic that people like Harry and others ignored the warnings and they didn't live according to the knowledge that they'd been given. Now praise God when it comes to the second coming, it's not about us living perfect lives. It's not about us having a perfect record, but it's about us deciding to accept our perfect Savior into our hearts. Amen? That's how we're ready. By opening up our heart and saying, Lord Jesus, my record isn't clean, but yours was and yours is, and I want your record in my place. Lord Jesus, I can't even promise that I'm going to be perfect from here on out. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to make mistakes, but I want you to get me back up again when I fall. That's how we live day by day. We don't know when the return will be, but we say, whenever you come back, whether it's in my lifetime or in someone else's lifetime, I want to be there. I want to be there with you. I need you in my heart and life. Peter says, seeing that everything will be destroyed, how should we live? Number one, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Live according to the information you've been given. It happened in the past. It's going to happen in the future. Number two, he says, you should look forward to the day of God and speed it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. 
Speed the coming of Jesus. You know, we can help Jesus return sooner. Matthew 24, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. It just makes sense that if we preach the gospel to the world quicker, sooner, if, more, if everybody hears about him faster, then Jesus can return sooner. You know, when I was a boy, and even still oftentimes today, dinner can never come too soon for me. I would be there at home after school. My mom would um, be thinking about dinner plans and so forth. And maybe she was in the, in the kitchen or maybe not. But my stomach would start getting ready for dinner time. And uh, sometimes my mom would say, John, if you're, if you're really hungry and you want dinner to come quicker, then come on in the kitchen and help me. Right? Help me cut up these vegetables. Help me do this and do that. And by doing so, dinner will come sooner. Friends, are we hungry for heaven? Are we hungry for the Lord to return? Because my Bible says, and your Bible says too, there is a heavenly banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, as it were, is preparing this dinner, but he needs help. He's asked us to be involved if we want him to return sooner and take us off this planet with sin and sorrow and sickness and death and misery and nuclear weaponry and all these things. If we want it to come sooner, then let's help Jesus with the mission he's given us. That's what we're here for. We're not here to be a social club. We're not here to, to just be a, a museum with like wax figurines preserving ourselves for the second coming. We're here to do a mission. And if you're hungry for Jesus to return, the invitation is to get involved in what's going on. Friends, in a very practical way here in this church, we have some awesome ways on a regular basis to be involved. This afternoon at 2.15, Anita's leading out in the GLOW ministry. Such a powerful ministry. You can be involved in that. Doesn't take a lot of skill. Doesn't take a lot. But it's an opportunity to plant hope and seeds in somebody's life and heart. Tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. What time did I say? 10 a.m. Right here. We're going to be meeting and talking about our upcoming series. We're doing a series on Bible prophecy and most importantly on the love of Jesus and his desire to save every single person on this planet. We're doing a series to present Jesus to our community. And everybody, as Harold mentioned, can have a part to play. I want the whole church to be here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. to find out how they can be involved. It's really simple. And, and one of the most basic ways you can be involved is by planning to be there regularly. I found in my own previous experiences, when a church really supports a series of meetings, it's like God is able to bless us with more people to help lead to Jesus. But when the church says, you know, we've done that before, you know, I'm just, I'm busy, it's like, the meetings don't go as well. Simply by choosing to be involved, choosing to attend, choosing to pray, God can do awesome things. Come tomorrow morning and find out. How should we live, Peter says, knowing the world will be destroyed? How should we live knowing that the only things that really matter are the things that can last through eternity? People. We won't be taking these church pews 
to heaven with us. We'll have much better things to sit on. It's nice to have them while we're here, but we can't take them with us. Can't take our money with us. We can only use it for God's glory and for His kingdom while we're here. The only thing we can take with us, they say, is our character and our converts. The heart that Jesus transforms now and the people that He allows us to reach for Him. That's the only thing that will last. And then Peter concludes. He says in verse 13, but in keeping with His promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. You see, the plan is not just to, to cleanse the world by fire. The plan is to recreate the world. To make it how it was in the very beginning, before sin ever touched this place. And to do it right, God has to totally wipe the slate clean and start completely over again. How should we live? Number one, live with Jesus. And number two, help others know about Him. You know, Harry Truman wasn't the only person who was killed that day. As I mentioned, there were 56 other people who died. As Mount St. Helens erupted, it sent off ash 80,000 feet into the atmosphere. Um, there was ash raining down in, in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana. Even some of it circled the globe eventually. People could look up into the sky and just see the ash as it was about to fall down on them. Uh, incredible. I was talking with somebody, they said, you know, when I was driving down the road that day as the ash was falling, it got so dark, I couldn't even see my hand in my car in front of my face. That dark. Uh, and then there was the cleanup. People trying to, to get the ash off their vehicles, off their property, out of their lungs, out of their eyes. Um, my dad was talking to a man who was there, a part of the cleanup. He was one of those big rig operators driving a big bulldozer. And he was responsible for helping to clear some of the roads as they were trying to get back in to some of these places that had been just totally covered with feet of cinders and ash. And my, my dad was talking to him, and, and the man said, you know, as we were plowing along one day, I, I came across a car. It wasn't this car, but it was something much like this. And it was totally buried, this car. But as he was driving along, he notices this car it was just kind of alongside of the edge of his plow. And so I got out, he said, and I went and I looked at this car. And he said, what I saw in the car, he'll never be able to erase from his mind forever. Because as he looked in the, in the driver's window of the car, he saw that the car was occupied. No longer with a, a, a live person. But he looked in and he could see preserved a carbon man. A man who had been in his car, probably up there to steal or whatnot, in his car at the time of the blast, and he, his face just had the look of somebody who was about to experience the worst thing in the world. You see, he, he knew the warnings, he knew the risks, he knew the danger, he knew the reality, but he wasn't paying attention to it. And so when that mountain erupted, he had just milliseconds 
until he was just vaporized. And so the man, this equipment operator, said, well, we've got to try and rescue the body, get the body out. So he opens the car door, he tries to get it open, and when he gets it open, he kind of jostles the door a little bit. And just that motion kind of jostled the seat and the man who was in it, and he just collapsed into a pile of ash on the seat. And he says, I'll never be able to forget that face, that look. It's not enough to simply know what's coming. We need to take it to heart. And this is kind of a solemn message today, but it's an important message. Because I want to focus on what really matters in my life. I want day by day my heart to be transformed by the love of Jesus. Because what we have to look forward to is not a scary event. What we have to look forward to is a glorious event. It's an event where we get to be reunited with our loved ones who've died in Christ. Where we get to meet Jesus face to face. We get to meet the apostles and we get to meet all the saved throughout all time. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're talking about today. And we get to to be there with the people we've helped to introduce to Jesus. So how will we live? Will we take it to heart? Or will we just say, like the scoffers, ah, I'll worry about that later. Today is the day of salvation. Every day is a day to spread Jesus and his love to others because this is what we have to look forward to. May the Lord find us faithful in his strength and his faith when he returns. Let's pray. Dear God, here we are examining a solemn passage, uh, one that has some pretty stark realities for our world, but one that points to a glorious day of joy and happiness. And nobody needs um, to experience anything bad on that day. Lord, it can only be good if we have you in our lives and hearts. So use us to reach people. Use us as a Parkwood church and, and, and other churches represented here today. Use us to reach this community and our world that you might come back sooner and that we might all go home to be with you forever. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.